Welcome to the Candle of Tales podcast and another story. So this time we're going to be listening to the story of Nessa, the not-so-gentle Niesa. The story will be told by my sister Surika and we'll be enjoying it all thanks to the support we get from Patreon. People have gone over to patreon.com forward slash Candle Tales to throw us a bit of change and support this podcast in all the many ways. Thank you very much for doing so, and you might want to do it. But if not, just listen to this story. It'll be grand. So go on there, Surga. Tell us the story, will you? Ungentle. My father was what you might call an idealist. He didn't believe in fighting. He didn't believe in battles. He didn't believe in violence. He made a kingdom of peace. Peace and prosperity, generosity, cooperation. And if we have all these things, we don't need violence. Violence is a sign that something has gone wrong. Violence means we haven't done enough. Violence is an aberration. Our natural state. Our best version of ourselves is gentle. Cooperative. And kind. So my father said to me and so I believed. Because I was raised in the sunlight, in kindness, in gentleness. And a child who is raised in this way believes what she is told, believes that there is power in gentleness. And a child such as I was is curious and kind. And that was what they called me, the gentle one. My father doted on me, my mother as well, although she expressed it differently. She made sure that I knew how to defend myself. She gave me a little bronze dagger to always have under my pillow and she taught me how to use it or she tried. I did not like violence any more than my father did. I did not even like seeing an animal being slaughtered and if I saw one I would turn my face away into my father's shoulder or I would clutch my little hound to my chest and I would weep. I hated to see blood flow hated to see anything suffer. What I liked was to know things. How things worked. How they fitted together. I liked to watch. I liked to ask questions. To watch the whites fix the heads of tools that were made of metal to the shafts that were made of wood 
to see how it all came together, the work of the smith and the work of the craftsman, blended, blended and brought together by one pair of hands. I loved to see that. I liked to pick at the walls of my room, to see how the mud and straw would crumble away and underneath I could see the woven reeds. I was fascinated to watch the builders at work, the laborers. I was fascinated by everything in the world. I wanted to understand more. And when a wandering fillet came to my father's home, I would find them out. Their experience of his court, aside from the usual hospitality the best we could afford, would be to be met by a bright-eyed girl child who asked them the why behind everything they said. And if that learned man or woman brushed me aside, or was stern with me, or told me to watch my manners, they would be sent on their way. But if they considered my questions, and thought about them, sometimes as if for the first time, and tried to give me an answer for my curiosity, well then my father would ask them to stay, and be a tutor to me. And in this way, I accumulated tutors. One after another, after another. Until there were 13 learned men and women whose only duty was to teach me, the gentle child of their king. The most fascinating thing as I grew older was watching my father at work. Because he had a gift of putting together not things, but ideas. And dressing them in words and speaking them to others in such a way that he could almost remake their minds. And then they would follow him. This unassuming, quiet man in a world of men who blustered and threatened and shouted. He never raised his voice. He persuaded. He argued. He cajoled. He convinced them that his way made more sense. And one by one, some agreed to follow him. Our little, peaceful kingdom grew, became more prosperous. And prosperity for one meant prosperity for all. It was shared. It was distributed. We were not people who loved luxury. There was not much of it to be had. What little we had was shared among everyone. Status was not so great in my father's kingdom. I wanted for nothing. I had my tutors. I had my little hound. I had the love of my parents. I had friends my own age to play with. And when it ended, it all ended at once. 
and all in one night. I heard my little hound barking and growling and then the growling turned into a high pained yelp and that was my first sign that something was wrong and I hid I hid under a bed clutching my little bronze knife and I listened and I watched and I was in such a panic that I could not think I could not even think to escape I could not think what was happening or why I only heard rough voices of strangers and I heard my father's voice answering them calm as calm as he always was but there was a note of pleading and then and then his words were cut off and there was a scream and more screaming and more shouts and the sounds of things breaking and wet thuds and smoke and fire and somewhere in there I ran and I do not know how I survived I was not thinking I was not planning I was running and hiding and when I was hungry I was finding something to eat and then I was hiding again and running again I think for a while I was almost an animal but I survived the first time I killed a man the winter was gnawing at my ribs I had not eaten hot food and I couldn't remember how long and there was a traveller alone and he was sitting by a fire and there was meat on the spit and I stood outside the circle of the firelight and I watched him I watched for a long time and I thought if I were my father's daughter if I were the gentle daughter of the gentle king I would walk into the firelight with my two open hands empty and I would greet him and I would say I'm alone and I know this country and perhaps I can help you but I have nothing and will you share what you have with me and I would trust that a man alone would be kind would respond to gentleness with gentleness would share with me what he had but I had seen what a man can do to a woman alone in the dark I had seen it on that night that I had seen too much and so I stood at the edge of the darkness shivering shivering so hard I could barely breathe and I couldn't understand how he couldn't hear my heart pounding and I knew I was not going to approach this man this strange man I tried to read in the lines of his face was he kind or was he cruel but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't read it. The words were not clear. Were those laugh lines or frown lines? Did one outnumber the other? There was nothing I could do. I had to choose. I could only choose. Life or death. Gentleness.
when I made the decision, I made it quickly. I stepped up behind him, and my little bronze knife plunged into his neck, into the bigger vein, the one you use when you're slaughtering a pig, and his life flowed out of him quickly. And I ate what he was cooking, and I slept by his fire. And that night, my belly was full, and I was warm, for the first time in a long, long time. I suppose I could have gone on like that, killing lone travellers and stealing from them, until somebody stronger turned up, ended my life. I'm sure that is the story of a lot of people. A life of quiet desperation and a sudden end. But I found that I could think again. When I was a child, I had never liked to think too much about war and battle and strategy, except that sometimes those things were like puzzles, and I liked puzzles. But now I could see myself, a girl alone, alone in the world, alone in the wilderness, no family, no friends. And I made a puzzle of my own life. How does the girl in the wilderness make herself safe? Well, she makes allies, not friends. Other desperate outcasts in a similar situation. And the problem that outcasts often have, aside from the fact that they're starving, is that they don't have anything. And most of them, I found out, did not know how to make decisions quickly and ruthlessly. And I did. And so they let me make more and more of the decisions. Before I knew it, I was their leader. And I was an effective leader. I could assess a threat or a target. I could make a puzzle out of it in my mind. And if we would lose three, and the other side would lose seven, well, that was a victory. And if we could use the terrain to our advantage, well, we would do that. And if they had to all be wiped out to make sure that no word of our presence would be carried to a larger army, well, we could do that too. It was simple. The execution of my plans was sometimes messy. But we were victorious. And we became stronger, the desperate outcasts and I, their desperate queen. Word came to me that another group of bandits wanted to join with us, ally with us. Strength in numbers was the first principle of my new life, and so I agreed to a meeting with their captain. And when I saw him, I did not at first recognize him. But when he spoke, when he spoke, 
His voice reached through me, back to the night where I saw too much. And I heard again my father's voice, but I could not make out my father's words because the beating of my heart was like the beating of black wings and my knife was in my hand and in his throat before I had a chance to think. I turned to my followers and I said, kill them all. And they obeyed me because I had never led them astray before. And the odds were not in our favor that day, but surprise is a powerful weapon. And although I had not planned on it, I wielded it then. After the fact, I told them that I was the daughter of a king and my quest was to avenge my father's death and as I spoke the words I realized they were true I had a quest I had a purpose and I had the means to achieve it and so we set about hunting them down the raiders who had killed my father my mother my hound my teachers my friends my family All those years ago, on that terrible night, I made their lives terrible. Perhaps even more than they had made mine because they did not have everything in one night. They knew that I was coming. The ungentle one. Nessa, not Esa, as I had been called by my father. Not gentle, not forgiving, not kind. Relentless and icy and cold. I hunted them down one by one, and some begged and some wept. But before I killed any of them, I heard that echo of my father's voice in my ears, and I ended them one by one until there was only one left. That one was slippery. He was a druid. He kept slipping into the other world. Whenever I had him almost cornered, he would be gone. And then back again somewhere else the next day. He let it be known that he would like to negotiate. And I let it be known that the first step in any negotiation between he and I would be for him to deliver his own severed head. But as time went on and I couldn't corner him, the frustration grew in me. I could not trap this one. Not without a lure. And so I decided to make myself into bait. I gave my followers instructions to leave me alone. And I took myself into the highlands. I found a mountain lake, and I spent a good long time looking out at that beautiful view, and very deliberately not looking at the forest behind me. And I took my time disrobing, and I made sure to lay my sword, and my shield, and my spear, 
aside on the rocks. And I made sure that when I caught my little bronze knife in my hand, no one from the tree line would be at an angle to see it. And I slipped into the water then and I waited. I saw him come down to the shore, the druid, through slitted eyes. He took his time. He cast my spear back into the tree line. He held my sword in his hand and he pointed the tip of it down at the earth. And he even took a moment to straighten his cloak, which I appreciated. And then he called out to me. Nessa. That was Eessa. I stayed under the water, and I listened to him. That gentle cadence he spoke in. I let his words fall down through the silence, down through the cold water. And whispering and murmuring at the edges of my hearing, I heard my father's voice again. As I had heard it on the night that he died. As I had heard it so often before. As he spoke. Of life. And a future. Of community. And prosperity. Of kindness. And family. And warmth. And compassion. And the man on the shore spoke as well. He spoke of futures, of destinies intertwined. He spoke of great lineages and kings. He spoke of stories on the lips of storytellers until the end of life and time. And I waited until he was finished speaking before I stood. I stood in the cold waters of the mountain lake and I looked down at my hands I looked down at myself once gentle now ungentle the blood of all had ever harmed me on my hands except for the blood of this one man and in one hand I held my bronze dagger And I could feel the wingbeats of the battle rage in that hand. And the other hand was empty and open, ready to grasp a future. Something beyond vengeance. Something that looked like hope, life. And in that moment, I stood outside myself and watched to see what I would do. This podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. You can find out more about us on our website, candletales.ie. And we're on all the social media, so like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Candlelit Tales or send us a message to get onto our mailing list. 
For more videos and live streams, like and subscribe to our Candlelit Tales YouTube channel, which now has a Candlelit Tales for Kids playlist, hashtag Candlelit Tales. Liking and subscribing to our channels really helps us grow and get to more people. And if you're able to give us more direct support, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales or make a one-time donation through the PayPal button on our website. We also do really like to hear back from you with any questions, requests or comments, leave them in the section below. If you want to find out about our courses, anything like that, just drop us a line. And we especially appreciate you listening.